Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15-minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. Hello and welcome back. This is the second part of our keynote presentation, with the first bit being Catherine and Brandon having put the senior management of the FCA, the architects indeed of the asset management market study, Nick Miller and his colleague through their paces. It's now my great pleasure to put three experts uh, through their paces to talk a little bit about some of the key takeaways from the meeting that has just concluded with uh, the FCA. Now, if you're joining just this meeting, my recommendation is that you watch the first bit because a lot of what we'll talk about here is going to be essentially content that will be based around the conversation that Nick, Catherine, Brandon and uh, the other FCA colleagues have had. So very quick introductions to our expert. Um, it's always tricky. I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Dan Waters on my left. I don't know where Dan's looking at me. Uh, Dan, Dan, <laughs> you're you're, on my left too, so that's interesting. You're very welcome from Washington D.C. Dan is a public policy expert. Spent many years at the old FSA, and is now an independent director with the Vanguard Board here in the UK. In my top right-hand corner, Ben Ben Coots, a senior officer. Uh, ben Hunt, I beg your pardon, not Ben Coots. <laughs> I'm not of the family shift. <laughs> You never know, Ben. Ben Hunt, a senior officer with Coots, and he chairs their ACD board um, here in the UK. And then, of course, Philip Walland, who needs no introduction whatsoever, um, FPC's chair. And indeed, he, we put him through his paces through, on the boot camp. He's just come off another meeting not, uh, not very long ago. So, gentlemen, our job is really to, to, to take a look at uh, what the FCA have presented to us. And I'd like to place on record my thanks to them for making the time to do this with, with us. And before we get into some of the detail of it, um, Philip, if I can ask you just to give me your one minute overall assessment of what you took away from uh, the meeting. Okay, Shiv, thank you very much. Um, I think you, you'll see it very early on in, in the FCA um, discussion. Um, with Nick talking about purpose, asking about the purpose of, of a business. What are you here for? What are you trying to do? And that links in with the other remarks they've made consistent, consistently about the assessment of value, which is that the process, what happens in the board, is much more important than the piece of paper that comes out the other end of it. And I think what they've achieved, and we've heard these comments from a number of, of the directors we work with, is that they have got the investor in the boardroom. It's no longer just a technical discussion, uh, and it's no longer about is this profitable or not. There's, they've introduced um, another um, element to it, and I think that's uh, the sort of uh, big issue uh, which I came away with. Mm. We will undoubtedly look at all of those. Um, ben, can I turn to you? I saw you nodding your head there. What was your key takeaway? What was the one big assessment you've you've made of the conversation? I thought it was, I thought it was a really interesting discussion, Shiv. And the, the main thing I took away from it was that it's great to have engagement with the regulator. And that this may, may be something we get more and more of post-Brexit. I'm desperately looking for a silver lining to the Brexit cloud. Um, but the FCA clearly now having a lot more freedom in the way they approach regulation, and a lot more local ability to make decisions. 
Um, it, I think it was really clear to me the centrality of the AFM in the FCA's mind. So most of the investment activity in, in the UK consumer market comes in mutual fund form and the role of the AFM in making sure those customers are getting good outcomes seems front and centre in Nick Miller's mind. So I, I thought that was really positive. Lots of interesting stuff for us to pick over in this discussion. Very good, Ben. We'll be, we will definitely be coming back to that at one point. And then, Dan, finally, if I could turn to you, if you could give us, from from the benefit of your distance, if you could give us your perspective and your takeaway from that, uh, from that uh, conversation. Sincere thanks to FBC for the opportunity to be involved in this very interesting uh, discussion. Uh, it's probably my regulatory background coming back here, but I heard the voice of a regulator and regulators who are not that pleased with what they're seeing. Um, they, I'd say they are exasperated even about some of the fund governance things, the themes that uh, that have been in play since 2016, at least, actually well before that, in fact. It even takes me back to my own regulatory days at the FSA for some of the changes that MIFID to formalize. So I think there's a certain frustration there. Um, I, I wondered, Ben, whether some of the frustration was off the back of COVID and off the back of the not very brilliant settling down of Brexit too. It must be quite difficult. I think the whole context of, of where the regulators is acting now is, is, is quite challenging. But I think, I, I think it's fair to say that we should expect uh, some action there. And we can talk about what that might look like in the assessment of value and also on the product side. I think I totally agree with Philip on the, on the primacy of, of the investor and the emphasis there, which I think is a very, very important and good one, but I think it has real implications and it'll be interesting to see what happens now that as they, I think, feel ready to get re-engaged somehow. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Dan. Uh, the exasperation, I suspect, came through very clearly for me as well, and for one uh, and for one or two reasons, which we will which we will absolutely talk about. So we're going to follow uh, the sequence that um, Catherine and Brandon did with uh, Nick, Gary, and um, Chris and Aidan. Uh, so let's 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 start with culture and purpose. That was the piece that Nick was talked about quite passionately. Ben, what was your key takeaways from that segment of the of uh, the of the presentation yeah I, I thought nick it was very interesting that nick chose to lead with culture mm -hmm. and purpose mm -hmm. i think there's a lot to be read into that um purpose is clear for me the, the the role of the afm is to ensure that customers get appropriate outcomes that's what we're there for that that's our, our mandate um and as I said, I think the centrality of the AFM came through loud and clear. The funds are our products. Our primary accountability is that they deliver appropriate outcomes. Everybody else, however glamorous and talented they are, is, is a means to that end. It's a service provider that we engage on behalf of the customers to get the right outcomes. And having that, that purpose of the AFM organisation embedded in the way we think about the products I think was the first strong thing I got from what Nick was saying. I don't think that that clarity about the role of the AFM is widely shared in the industry. I think yeah, investment managers think of the fund as their product. Um, distributors yeah. think of the fund as their product. And actually, it's not. The product is curated, looked after. There's a fiduciary responsibility for the AFM on behalf of the underlying investors. Uh, and I think that that was the, the big thing I got from Nick. Um, 
I think when you build from that and think on about the culture inside the AFM, so there's an industry-wide culture point, but there's an inside the AFM culture point as well. And this brings you to the role of the board and the importance of the independence on the board. You know, the, the AFM's got a series of really difficult conflicts to manage and a difficult series of assessments to make about whether the outcomes being produced are good. And having the independent challenge from the INEDs is critical to that. Um, so I, th I think that that cultural point was was spot on. Um, th those are the sort of two key things I got. So the point about the culture of the industry and the point about the culture within the AFM. Thank you, Ben. You've teed up Dan very nicely, but I'm just can I come back to you just very quickly on a follow up on that. You chair your ACD board. We've just concluded this large scale study of the non execs, which will be which we will be showcasing at the boot camp. And there was a very clear discussion about the importance and the role of the chair. Now, you, that's something you have to that that you that you that you wear. Can you just very quickly give us a little summary sense of how that has role has evolved for you this past 12, 18 months? Um, I think the the role of the chair is to ensure the discussion is held, that view you know that you cover the topic broadly, that you build time in for debate, that you let it, views get aired properly. Um, it's quite there's a balance to strike between making sure the meeting progresses at pace. So our board meetings once a quarter, four hours. I don't want them any longer than four hours. Four hours is plenty long enough. Um, <clears throat> but making sure that the, the, what you're discussing in that period is the right stuff, the stuff where discussion can add value, and you try and stay out of the operational detail. So it's, it's the big picture. Where are we going? Are we doing the right thing for the customers? What are the outcomes we're producing like? Is where, where you want the board focused. I don't think it matters in that sense whether the chair is dependent or independent um you can run it perfectly well either way what matters is the conversation that, that answers the question chief yes it does most certainly thank you dan i i, I started counting uh, there were at least four if not more instances where one or the other whether it was nick or gary or indeed the others who talked about the role of the independent director mm. that's you um can you just give us the benefit of your experience on on the topic of culture and purpose and how that's be, how, how how you see that playing out um, i well i think um, ben has hit some very important points there which i which i won't repeat but to say that for 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 an asset manager to have a true purpose that is focused on investors is i think the core thing but really focused on investors i don't know how many times the various FCA uh, representatives use the phrase tick box culture. They are very worried about that. And they have, in my experience, uh, my long experience in regulation of the asset management industry, a reason to be concerned. Because many, many firm leaders will say, we don't make money unless we treat our customers fairly and, and you know, make them the center of all we do. And unfortunately, that statement isn't true. Um, and we all understand why it's not true, because there are significant weakest, weaknesses on the demand side and have always been. Uh, and there are weaknesses on the, the product side and the complexity of products and the opacity of products and, and the disinterest and the desire to trust that, that many investors have. They don't want to, to engage. They want to trust and rely. Uh, and there's all these dynamics that, that take us away from 
easily take us away from a focus, a real focus on investors. So I look at, in my own experience, I look at the cultural statement. What is the statement? What is the stated purpose? And how is it embedded in the staff? What is the culture on the ground in, in the firm? And that to me is absolutely key. And are people really engaged with that? Or is this just something that leadership says they would say that and you just kind of get on with the doing whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. disconnected from that. And that is re that is really where the drivers of investor outcomes live in the business, in the staff, in the people and in the leadership. And I, I, I think that's what the FCA is trying to get at here. And I commend them for the ways that they're trying to do that. I think in many ways, there's a lot of thought leadership that has gone on in this organization. And if I may say so, thought leadership in MIFID too as well, uh, which unfortunately will not be not be applied in Europe anymore because of course we're not there to do it. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, the, how that ends up. But I think the focus on investor, the investors is something that I as an INED, I feel, I feel like that's my main job. Mm -hmm. That's my job is to be there. As, as you said, Philip, quite rightly, the voice of the investor is in the room all the time. That's that's where I am. Thank you, Dan. Um, Philip, you you remember in November when uh, we we had the FCA in talking to the uh, to our non-execs. There was this discussion, or certainly the question got raised: How can if you're part of a much larger organization, you're part of a global multinational setup? Uh, both Dan and Ben have have experience in those sorts of organizations. How can we at the ACD, we at the AFM level, sort of? execute on this culture and purpose if it isn't something that comes from further afield that was addressed to some extent i thought quite quite well uh, in the discussion and and i wonder whether you'd like to re reflect on that or indeed any other point um, on the on the culture and purpose piece uh, interestingly that was precisely the point i i, I was going to move towards um, and i think it is difficult How, however good the chairman of the afm the acd is um, uh, and I'd be interested actually in, in uh, Ben and um, Dan's comments on this. Uh, if you have a parent body, uh, which may not only not be an asset manager, but may be a foreigner, um, and we have some very good examples of that, and, and you can see it in some of the work which FBC has, has produced. Um, if, to take an example, your parent is Japanese, and you're asking them, you know, saying, I've got to think about culture in this particular way and, and the primacy and the investor and so on and so forth. Um, I think it can uh, produce uh, tensions. And I think it's clear to me that what the FCA is saying is, well, that's fine. But in the UK, there's a particular set of behaviours we're, we're expecting to see. Um, and that may produce difficulty and you'll have to work out those difficulties, which is exactly what a number of our members uh, um, ha have done. We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.